Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back to another episode of the Umrapreneur Live podcast. And with me, I have a very special guest today, Brother Adam Khan, the founder and CEO of Fit Dad Life Mastery. Assalamu alaikum, Brother Adam. How are you today? Alhamdulillah. I'm a little bit rough. <laughs> I, got a, I think I've got a cold. Mm. I don't think it's COVID, but I'm feeling a little bit under the weather. Subhanallah. Well, may Allah subhanahu wa grant you shifa, brother. I know it's been, uh, I mean, it is cold season right now. And like, uh, you know, it's it's been a little bit crazy as well with COVID. I mean, people have been sick a little bit everywhere, subhanallah. So may Allah subhanahu wa grant you shifa. And I appreciate you, I appreciate you joining me on this podcast despite uh, you feeling unwell. It just showcases your dedication and, uh, you know, your your willingness to, to contribute and give some value. So I really do appreciate that. And I'm grateful for it. Um, I want to, uh, of course, I want to honor your time and honor you know, your presence, uh, and hopefully have a conversation today that will give benefit to, you know, all the listeners. I know that you especially um, focus on helping uh, professional dads, um, you know, people who are essentially, you know, fathers and they're busy and they most likely have children and families and careers. And, you know, most of them, as we all know, sometimes, you know, what happens is our health kind of falls on the wayside you know, our health and fitness is secondary to our main priority, which is, you know, earning and providing and being the dads we need to be. And what your focus is, is you've actually decided to focus on helping specifically dads lose 20 to 30 kgs, um, you know, in, in a few short months, essentially take control of their health, perform better in all areas of their lives. And you've done so very successfully, mashallah. I've seen your testimonials. I've seen images on your social media of your clients and the transformations that they were able to achieve. So in our conversation today, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, your journey as an entrepreneur, what it's like being a fitness coach from an entrepreneurial perspective, as well as maybe kind of dig out a few tips from you in regards to, uh, you know, how uh, dads listening to this can get a little bit healthier and maybe put their life, their, their, um, their health and fitness first again and prioritize it, inshallah, so they can feel better and look better and, and have that confidence uh, that, they, that they need to have, inshallah. So a perfect place to start is for you uh, to share with us if you may, what was it that actually even inspired you to become a fitness coach and specifically help fathers? Why did you focus on uh, helping dads? Okay, so um, my my journey into fitness is separate from my journey into entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. so my journey into fitness was um, seeing my dad have a heart attack when I was like um, about eight, nine years old. And then following that, um, when I was about 13 or 14, he suffered a stroke. Oh, then he was housebound and uh, my mum became the main carer. And he suffered a lot for the last eight, nine years of his life. You know, mm -hmm. And then he passed away in 2002. Um, now, my dad uh, was very old school. We never had a car. He, um, he walked everywhere. He was very active. Um, he was very anti-takeaway, anti-fast food. Very anti you know very much against it um but plus at that time it, it, we never had uber eats you never had all these um food venues all over the place now you have dessert shops you have mm -hmm. um, fast food uh, venues about you know like 15 in a one mile radius 15 15 is an understatement when i was growing up there was like one or two so um despite that my dad suffered a heart attack and as asians we are already predisposed to that and not a lot of people are aware um even I have a lot of clients who are doctors, and sometimes they get surprised when I, when I tell them the statistics. So Asian men, South Asian men, and this accounts for Arabs and 
uh, and all of that content are six times more like, likely to suffer from heart disease, diabetes, and strokes in their thirties, and that seems to be getting younger and younger each year. So, um, you know, uh, so my dad was already already probably predisposed to that. So he had his heart, he had a heart attack, and then he had a stroke later on. And this, they're all the same. It's the, all the same mechanism. Mm -hmm. And I had uh, a really, really um, tough time with my health. From the age of 15 to about 19, I got uh, I got a rare case of tuberculosis. That okay. caused me to deteriorate really badly to the point where I became housebound and for a few months I was even bedbound. Um, mm. We couldn't find a cure to it. The doctor struggled with it. And then at that time, I... You know, when when something something's taken away, you value it. Uh, you value it. So at that time, when I became bedbound, I you know I promised that had I if I recovered, um, I would I wouldn't take my health for granted. And then uh, Alhamdulillah, after you know, and if you watch, if you read some of my blogs and stuff, you can read the full journey. It's quite a lengthy one. So um, at the age of twenty, I recovered. And after I recovered for the first time in my life, I started gaining weight. So um, I ignored it at first, it was a good thing, because I was underweight prior to that, like seven stones at 19 years of age. So I started gaining weight, and the first time ever, I could see some fat on me. Um, and initially it was a good thing, but then it just kept getting worse and worse. And one of my friends kept uh, at university kept um, uh, trying to convince me to join him at the gym. Uh, I ignored it, made all sorts of excuses, like the kind of excuses that a lot of people make now. And then eventually, uh, one day I went, and this was the Christmas holidays of 2001. I went there, I got the bug, I lost all my weight, but I became skinny fat. But I was skinny, but then following year, uh, I got married, had kids, busy, you know, fam, dad and everything. But I was still going to the gym, uh, three, four, five times a week. I was supposedly eating healthy, but I started dying mm. on the weight. Um, then I struggled with my weight for the next 10 years. Even though I was going to the gym, eating healthy, and all the rest of it, I was still struggling with my weight. I couldn't get the weight off. Around 2002, uh, so 2012, is when I finally managed to lose weight and keep it off. Um, and then I went on this journey of trying to really understand how weight loss happens, you know, what's the processes that you can use and how do people who lose weight keep uh, sustainably and keep it off mm -hmm. for a long time. So I got in touch with coaches, courses, programs and I went on them and I looked at how other coaches who managed to help people lose weight and keep it off do it. So I did a number of courses and stuff for like thousands of pounds and I discovered <laughs> the secret. So then you ask me why did I get into uh, South Asian dads? Um, well, because I am a dad, uh, I'm a, I'm a dad, and I understand the struggles of uh, um, you know um, a Muslim male dad faces, um, and I have worked with other demographics. Uh, so prior to launching my going back on my, I, I launched my business and then I put it on hold and I start and I got uh, I got headhunted by another coach with a very lucrative offer. So I started coaching for him, and he was paying me really really well. Uh, you know, so I, I would say sometimes it's more than what I can earn even in my own business. Um, mm -hmm. So he's paying me really well, but I was coaching mainly middle-aged white females. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't relate to them. Their challenges, um, 
and then the other issues that they had with the hormones and the menstrual cycles and then they weren't Muslim females so they'd, they'd drink wine most evenings they finish work and, and come home and drink wine chocolate and many many other issues I really struggled to relate to that um, so I found it very challenging although I managed to do a good job managed to get results I still found it very challenging and the fact that it was unrelatable really really bugged me so I thought do you know if I could take this and make it you know if I could do something similar but with a demographic that I could relate to and really have that strong connection it would be amazing so um, I gave my notice in um, in 20 end of November 2020 and I came back to my own business and I started building that up and alhamdulillah I managed to build a community I did have a small community prior to working for the other guy um, but then since 2020 um, December 2020 I've been building my community of um, brothers who have the same challenges struggles and all the rest of it and I also find having um, a like-minded community where everybody has similar, similar goals challenges and aspirations it makes it a lot easier for them to support each other and for you to be able to give them um, guidance without spreading yourself too thin Oh, definitely, man. The power of community is, is amazing. And you've built that. When you say you built a community, what do you mean by building a community? Do you mean like you created a Facebook group or, or you something, something online? Or how did you go about it? So all of my clients, um, we, we have one-to-one. -one, so when someone joins our program, we have um, uh, they get put into a private Telegram group uh, and a private Facebook group. So I have a free Facebook group and I have one for clients. Mm -hmm. um, however, I found with my demographic, the Facebook group, does you know it's not used very uh, often it's mm -hmm. not it's not on fire like when i was working with the the other coach the facebook group was on fire it's like really active mm -hmm. very very active um but with my with my demographic i find they, they prefer telegram so the telegram group is very active but the the facebook group isn't as active but i do find facebook quite useful for for uh, disseminating content in a particular manner video pictures and you can always search stuff and find it again um, but that they're, they're just bonus additions they're not the core of the program so if someone somebody didn't have Facebook it, it's not an obstacle they mm -hmm. can still join the program like our program is delivered via uh, a coaching app so we have our own bespoke app coaching app which you can download on your Android or Apple and you can access it via um, the internet as well so you, there's a web app version and the mobile app version as well. So that is the medium for the delivery of all of the coaching, the, the infographics, the videos, the texts, um, and all of that, um, and the weekly group coaching calls. Then we have we have the weekly group coaching calls. Once again, that's done on a separate platform to Facebook. Um, and then you can have one-to-one -one calls, and then there's the weekly coaching emails. So you give them uh, set tasks, based on what you need. So you do a complete audit and we see what you need, what your challenges are. And then uh, you have access to a coach as well. So I have mm -hmm. coaches working for me and then there's myself. So you'll be assigned one coach and you can communicate with them directly via Telegram. Um, but um, everybody is put into this Telegram group and into Facebook group. So we have past, uh, past and current clients. Up to yet, we, we are going to have to start removing people because it's becoming, becoming unmanageable now as we get to over 100 clients. Yeah. Uh, 
But previously, one of the promises I made is that you get lifetime access to this community. Um, but like I said, now it's becoming unmanageable. So uh, we are going to be looking at removing that lifetime access. So you're only in other communities whilst you're a current client. But we have a free community as well. But everybody bonds and everybody really supports each other. Everybody is rooting for each other. They share their, their struggles, their challenges, their wins. And we even have a thing where we call Topless Tuesdays. Not everybody participates, but few do, and they, sh they show their results from there. So that's the community. And, quite, and if you watch some of the video reviews, you'll find, yeah. you'll see some of the some of the brothers saying that one of the best things is that community. And um, they, we even have get uh, like dinners and get togethers and things like that. We plan to do more of them. And uh, all the brothers are, you know, would love to be able to all just meet and a lot of them are looking forward to meeting some of the brothers who they've already been communicating with, with via Telegram. Uh, so they're, they're looking forward to meeting them in person. So inshallah, in the future, we're looking at having events, like big events or even retreats, where everybody can, past and present, can get together. I love that, mashallah. Well, it sounds like you really built an entire ecosystem to provide that support and provide that help, you know, give them not only the coaching, the training, but also the community and, and kind of like the uh the, the the family aspect that that you want them to to experience when it comes to having a family of other like-minded peers that support them on this journey of, of fitness because it is a journey that requires a lot of consistency it requires a lot of commitment um and, and that actually brings me to my next question which is what has been the biggest uh, misconception for you uh, that you found about losing weight since you've started working with clients what, what is usually like a misconception that they have when they come to you that you kind of need to debunk and work work with them through the biggest one is that you have to exercise or you need mm. a job. Um, exercise uh, has been sold as the panacea. Uh, and then there's different forms of exercise that has been sold as well, like HIIT training and, and various other forms of training. And the tougher a workout is, the better is it fat loss and all the rest of it. That is, without a doubt, the biggest misconception. Because exercise in and of itself is very insignificant to weight mm. loss. Um, it accounts for about 5% of your weight loss results. And people say 20 and things like that, but uh, if you were to go on our program and you see how I break everything down, you'll see statistically, uh, uh, sorry, uh, from from the research, um, we can gather it's about 5%. If you did one hour training in a day and it was a quite a tough workout, it would account for about 5% of your total daily energy expenditure. Mm -hmm. um, so that is the biggest misconception because especially when dad they don't have time to go to the gym you know to commute to the gym or um and then train and then finish and the shower and all the rest of it that can be a massive mental hurdle um because they feel like well, i haven't got time so i'm not going to bother so mm -hmm. yeah that, that would be it what so how do you overcome that if, if it's not exercise then what is it that that you you focus on with your clients so i i always say um, on my post that it's not exercise now, it's a bit of a problem. I've discovered it's become a bit of a problem because we do end of program surveys as well. So when you when you when you sign up, you have a, an a, a, an onboarding survey. They ask you how the onboarding process went. Did you, you know, what what struggled? Did you find it easy and all the rest of it? Then we have like a half time survey, and then we have an end of program survey. So on the end of program survey, a few people said, "Look, we thought it's a gimmick because you said everyone's telling us like you have to exercise." And you said we don't have to exercise, so we just stopped. dismissed it straight away. Um, but then um, 
So, um, but then others have said, look, we struggle to find out how you are different from everybody else. So a bit of a dilemma here now, because if I say you don't have to exercise, well, that can't be true because everyone's saying you have to exercise. How can this person say that you don't have to exercise? So that can't be true. So he's a fad, he's a scam. And then if I say, oh, well, you have to exercise, you have to do hit training, you have to do all the rest of it, oh, then you're like everybody else. So how are you different? So it's a lose-lose situation. But nevertheless, um, you know, we get a lot of our people from referrals. Um, um, most of them, the clients are from referrals. I'd say about 70% from probably from referrals. Now, uh, so it's other people telling them that, look, you know, this works. So if one person, so through all our marketing efforts, if we get one person, that one person tells five others, or they lose weight and five others see them, then we get the majority from that. Now, um, sorry, the question that you asked was, um, how do you overcome that? Yeah. Um, a lot of mindset work at the start, education, we really educate them. So we have these lengthy coaching calls where I, I draw on research from as recent as 2020 and even 2021 and 2019. And I, I pull up all this research and I show them that these are the graphs and charts and statistics. Uh, so we educate them on that. Plus we give them a process to follow and they start to see results in like five days. Mm. In, in seven days, they see a result and like, wow, like, this actually works. So um, we always say, just to be just to be on the safe side, we always say, look, we, we want 21 days of consistency. So uh, to the 21 days helps you to form a habit. Uh, plus I send out a little card, I give them a welcome pack, and I send out a little card with a tick off boxes. And um, if you've ever had chimp paradox, uh, you need to satisfy your chimp. So these, these boxes and rewards and things um, can help you to, to satisfy the chimp. Mm -hmm. So I tell them that, look, try to stick to 21 days of consistency. Whether you feel it's working or not working, just be consistent for 21 days and let's see what happens. But within, normally within seven days, they see a result. I'm like, wow, like, this is so easy and this actually works. So then that motivates them to, um, to um, uh, do more of it. Yeah. But at the same time, we're working on mindset, working on education, a large portion of its mindset, I give them morning routines to do. Um, set them goals and targets based off of what they need because mm. everybody's needs are going to be different. When you uh, when you started off as a coach and uh, you decided that you wanted to become an online fitness coach, we have a lot of listeners that are interested in starting businesses or growing their businesses. What would you say were um, maybe the, what would you credit towards your success as an online fitness coach? What are maybe the things, or if you can give us maybe three tips uh, with with other coaches of, of things that they can do to uh, either start or grow their coaching business? Um, really consistency. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, your passion has to align with a need. Like mm -hmm. there has to be a need. Um, so as long as you have a passion for something and that merges with a the need, um, then that is pretty much validating your idea. You have to validate your idea. Um, if somebody doesn't have um, a pain point that they're willing to uh, pay for, then you know it's not. It might not be a worthwhile venture. So you validate your your, your passion with a need. Now, um, then it's consistency. You have to be consistent. Like you're going to have lots of ups and downs, um, and it's going to be tough. 
it's going to be really, really tough. Um, but you have to show up uh, and do the work, as well as work smart. And you have to be continually focused, focused on personal growth. And the other thing is really important that you invest into yourself, that you invest into learning, developing, and growing with yourself. One of the things that I always tell uh, people who are looking at hiring a coach is, does the coach have a coach? Has that coach had a coach? If a coach doesn't believe in coaching, then there's lack of congruency. Because um, mm-hmm. I've got friends who are personal trainers, and, and they would never invest in a coach or a personal trainer or any or, or into themselves. But then they're expecting clients to invest into them. Mm-hmm. Um, so consistency and be good at what you do. Like be able to get results yeah. and don't be mediocre. Because another thing that I find amongst our community, South Asian community, and maybe even the Muslim community, is we content with mediocrity. Uh, we're okay to just be average in the middle. Be the best you can. Um, and I was listening to Seth Golden recently. Um, I think he pronounced it Golden, or is it Golden? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the, the purple cow. So you have to be different. And if you, most of his books are good. Uh, so be be different. Uh, have your own unique, uh, but uniqueness is going to come with you anyway. Everybody's unique, so uh, you don't have to be somebody else. And that's another mistake I think entrepreneurs make, personal trainers, and, and many other uh, areas is that they to try to copy somebody else and be somebody else, which you don't need to be. Um, just being yourself is being unique, and but be very good at what you do. And deliver on your promise. Yeah. Right now, uh, with yourself as a coach, working with your clients, um, how do you feel? How important do you do you focus, or do you focus on? You know, you mentioned exercise is not really a huge focus that you have uh, within your program and with with your work with your clients. So then, do you focus on sleep patterns? Do you focus on nutrition, lifestyle habits? What are the things that you focus on instead? to try to shift with your clients? So um, our program has five pillars. Exercise is one pillar, but it's an optional pillar. Mm-hmm. If you have the time, fantastic, go for it. Um, especially if you want to change the shape of your body. Um, if you want to change the shape of your body and not just lose weight and just be a skinnier version of your former self, mm-hmm. then exercise, especially resistance training, is absolutely essential. Mm-hmm. But if you want to... Um, if you want to um, increase your metabolism slightly and keep weight off for the long term, again, exercise becomes important. So I do try and push it towards the latter part of the program. So we have like a 24-week program and we have a 12-week program. Anybody who has more than 18 kg to lose, we recommend a 24-week program. Anybody who has 18 kg or less, we recommend the um, 12-week program. And towards the end of those 12 weeks, I always try and push exercise a little bit more. Um, so if they have the time, go ahead and exercise. But we don't want it to be a mental value. We don't want it to be a mental value where they think, okay, because I can't exercise, everything else is going to go off. So the five pillars that we have is mindset. And under mindset, we have education. Um, and we have working on the intrinsic motivation. That's really important. Um, and even with entrepreneurship, intrinsic motivation is really important. Unless you know your why, you're going to fall. Like, you know, as soon as, as soon as you have an obstacle, you're going to quit. Yeah. Um, so intrinsic motivation, 
education and mindset. The mindset, when I say mindset, where I distinguish it from the other two is rewiring their thinking patterns um, and their limiting beliefs, helping them to overcome their limiting beliefs, whether that is related to education, i.e. if I eat after 6 p.m., I'm going to gain weight, or uh, you know, I have breakfast the most important meal of the day, then you get somebody else to tell you that, no, 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 skip breakfast and fast. Um, then um, other limiting beliefs might be that they believe that they're genetically predisposed to being overweight or that they're just big boned um, uh, or carbs make them fat or it's toxins or hormones so we help them overcome all of these limiting beliefs mm-hmm. um, so that's mindset second one is behavior change we are focused heavily on behavior change um, and changing their lifestyle but we do it gradually so it, it doesn't feel overwhelming or, or overbearing so gradually change their lifestyle, improving their sleep, improving their relationship with food, making sure they're getting enough fluids and water, making sure that they're eating nutritiously. So, um, nutritiously, so that they, uh, again, mindset comes into this as well and rewiring. So, previously, they might have seen eating healthy as a, a chore or as a punishment. Mm-hmm. So, we will get them to think differently. So, eating nutritious food is, is nourishment and it's rewarding. Your body is a part of self-care rather than a punishment. Um, yeah. Plus, we give them recipes and foods that they're used to anyway. So it's not we don't put them on this horrible uh, chicken and broccoli diet. Um, make small tweaks. We give them recipes, but at the same time, if you said, "Look, Adam, I don't like any of these recipes. Here's what I'm eating in my house. How can you tweak this? We can tweak it for you and make it healthy." Mm-hmm. Uh, so se- second pillar is behavior change. Um, once again, for some people, it's not even the food. Their issue is they're not sleeping. Right? Mm-hmm. Their sleep is terrible. So when they wake up in the morning, they're lacking energy. So they're knocking back Red Bulls, but they don't understand that the sugar in the Red Bull is, is quite high. Uh, so it might just be a simple, simple case. If you need the Red Bulls, have the sugar-free version. But then they might have been led to believe that aspartame is going to kill them. So they, they avoid that. So um, um, Or... It's simply a case of get to bed on time, have a sleep sleep hygiene routine, get to bed on time. And, and we found that with some clients where they their biggest obstacle was really their lack of sleep. Now they're sleeping well, they wake up fresh, they don't need the uh, the, the, the 10 biscuits and Red Bull for breakfast or a strong coffee, they're fine. Um, and their willpower is stronger or, it's not even willpower, but their ability to resist um, junk food is greater because they don't feel tired and lethargic anymore. So mm-hmm. focusing on those lifestyle changes, behaviors, um, habits, routines, gradually and building on those. Third pillar is nutrition. So again, nutrition, again, weight loss comes down to just being in a calorie deficit. Um, but the question is, why are you not in a calorie deficit? Where is, you know, where is that, the, where are the biggest leaks in your bucket? Where is the surplus, surplus calories coming from? Um, and you'll see it's related to, again, the way they're thinking, the uh, toxic mindsets. It's related to their behaviors, their general lifestyle. So um, we educate them on nutrition, how food is neither good or bad, um, like aspartame. And if you wanted to reduce calories, you can through uh, you know, zero-calorie beverages and, and other low-calorie foods. And they're not really as bad as... You know, uh, the people relatively. Yeah. Our fourth pillar is exercise. 
If you've got all of these three things in check and you have time for exercise, go for it. But instead of the th three things that are going to make the biggest difference, exercise is only just the icing on the cake. Now, we do, however, tell you to, or we do encourage you to increase your activity levels. Like increasing activity levels is a non-negotiable. You have to increase activity levels. You can lose weight without increasing activity levels, but it just means that you have to eat less or eat fewer calories, not necessarily eat less, because a lot of the clients tell me, oh, I can't even finish the food uh, because they're eating better, uh, better foods and, and making better choices, which has a lot of bulk and fewer calories. But you do have to consume fewer calories to lose weight. Now, um, if you if you if you exercise, so that I give you that tiny bit more of a dent or a bit more of a calorie allowance because you're exercising. But again, to build shape, to build size, to get stronger, to reduce your um, you know poor, to improve your health markers, um, exercise is fantastic for mm -hmm. overall health. Exercise is brilliant and it should be non-negotiable. And our fifth pillar is the coaching that brings everything together. Um, again, if something's not working or you can't figure out why it's, you know, um, you know, it's like a maze, for example, sometimes and you take a wrong turn and you don't know which way to go to, to get back on track. That's where the coaching comes in and we're able to guide you through the process. I love that, mashallah. These are, uh, it's a very, sounds like a very extensive and thorough approach that you have built here that really covers all aspects of, of a person's life and mindset and lifestyle uh, to really help ignite and, 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 and really just help them achieve that transformation that they would like to achieve in their bodies and in their health and fitness, inshallah. And, you know, you've worked now with many clients and alhamdulillah, uh, your coaching business um, is one that, uh, you know, when you look at your case studies and your testimonials, it's one that essentially has the proof is in the pudding, right? Like the proof is in the client, the clients that you've worked with and in the results that they've achieved, uh, which is beautiful to see, mashallah. Now, a question in regards to that is for, for you as a coach now, as you're, as you're growing your business, and as you're going through this journey, what, what was maybe a lesson that you've learned as an entrepreneur or as a coach, um, that you weren't, you didn't necessarily know when you first got started. Is there a lesson that you've learned along this journey for yourself as a coach that you can maybe share with us on this podcast today? Yeah, in terms of um, as a coach or in terms of as an entrepreneur, uh, I, I would say as an entrepreneur, as an entrepreneur in general, sure. Yeah, I, I, well, as an entrepreneur, I've learned that the most biggest challenge you're going to have is going to be staffing, mm, and yeah. the hardest part of business isn't the beginning or it may seem like the beginning but the hardest part is actually the middle yeah now, once you've got your initial startup and you're humming along and then you get to a middle where you you're stuck between being a, a new business and the next stage in your growth uh, the middle um, and they call it the messy middle that is the most challenging part because your business is going to go like this and then it's going to go there and then it's going to go like this yeah for a long time um, and that's the hardest part is staffing, hiring ma and managing um, staff, um, you know, hiring and managing good staff um, yeah. and also sticking it out through that middle part where, you know, where it feels like um, you're dragging yourself through treacle and, you know, you have really highs and then you have big lows and then you have highs and lows and thinking, right, um, is this going to be 
my the trajectory of my business for the rest of my uh, you know yeah. rest of my life it's getting past that part and then um accelerating towards growth again yeah, definitely. I agree. And I've actually, I'm experiencing that in, in our business as well with Omerpreneur in the sense that, uh, you know, when I started Omerpreneur as well, it was just me. Um, it's just a vision that I had and something that I wanted to do. Alhamdulillah, now we're a team of about five uh, within within the organization. And, you know, the, even within that, I mean, there were people that have joined and left along the way. And I would say one of the things that consumes, you know, a lot of my time and energy is, you know, um, essentially just managing the team and training them and making sure that they're they're comfortable within the roles and you know they have everything they need to succeed um and then along with that trying to continue to grow the business and make sure everything is functional um it takes a lot of work a lot of energy a lot of dedication commitment um and it, as you mentioned it, it goes from like you know upwards when you're first starting to now like a roller coaster uh, subhanallah but um it's also uh it's also really satisfying when you finally do get the right people in the right positions and then you can see just the impact that they bring to your to your team and your company and how they can do things that you wouldn't have thought of or you wouldn't have been able to do on your own uh, that's a really satisfying feeling as well definitely when you have very creative uh, staff I and mean, usually this is the this is the um i have a consultant as well um, mm -hmm. who i work with um and he pointed out to me he said look um, you're obviously an entrepreneur and you're going to gel with other entrepreneurs who have a lot of ideas, very creative and stuff. He goes, but they not may, they may not necessarily be the right person for a role. Um, and we had this conversation last month and he said, look, what you might need to look for now is people who don't want to be entrepreneurs. They just yeah. want to work. Yeah. Um, they just want to work and they want to be the worker bees. They enjoy working. They just want to work for somebody else, do the best they can. Best they can and switch off after 5 p.m. and mm -hmm. you go about their business. Um, yes, but then with those people, you don't get a lot of creative ideas. Mm. With the entrepreneurs, you have the creative ideas, but then they don't, a lot of entrepreneurs, if they join uh, another business venture, they don't stick around. Mm -hmm. They have their own uh, ambitions. Correct. And then if you have those who just want to work, you'll you'll find that they don't generate a lot of ideas mm -hmm. they don't really propel the business forward unless you're still at the at the helm of the, uh, of, mm -hmm. of the um, well yeah what i've noticed actually uh, to comment on it so what i've noticed um at least at least in my case with entrepreneur is that the i would say with with most of my team it's kind of like a little bit of both in that they have that creativity of entrepreneurs and they have you know that you know that that entrepreneurial thinking but they also i think one key is that when you when you want when you want to hire as a small business and you want a team that's going to stick around is that you really need people that are going to buy into your vision that are going to buy into what it is that you're trying to achieve and i think that's one of the things that i really look for is that you know ultimately people will stick around if they feel like what they're doing and and whatever it is that they're working towards is worthwhile it's worthy it's a valuable goal for us to attain and and when you find people that have kind of a little bit of both they have that entrepreneurial mindset but they also have the ability to be like hey we, this is the work that needs to be done right now and it might be routine work but it contributes to a bigger goal i think when you can find that and you can give them a bigger goal that they can buy into and that they personally relate to and they personally want to see actualized as well 
that's that's when you've hit that sweet spot but i i admit as well it's not easy to find that's what that's part of the challenge right is that you have to find those right people that that can have the 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 ability of of an entrepreneur they have also the ability to do the work even if it's routine and also they can buy into your vision and mission right absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. You, need, I, 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 you know in a small business you need a bit of both yeah you need elements of both exactly in each member of staff that's correct yeah yeah so it's uh, it's an interesting journey subhanallah and um right now uh in, in your fitness in your fitness coaching business uh with your clients what is it that you plan to do next? What is it that we can expect in the future uh, from, inshallah, you know, Khan Fitness? What can we see? Inshallah, I'm looking to organize events. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing a, a lot of outreach at the moment. Um, like I'm not um, uh, reaching out to other organizations, uh, massages and mm -hmm. other big organizations offering my services to them. So I'm looking at, inshallah, maybe doing workshops offering workshops, live workshops, where I can go into to different organizations and deliver workshops. We're looking at doing retreats, like a weekend retreat, where I just run through my entire content of the program in two days um, or three days. Uh, weekend retreats, maybe even a week retreat. Uh, and this can be held um, in the UK or abroad. Um, having like a, an award ceremony once a year, uh, for some of, some of our best clients and where they can invite family and friends and just having an, an evening uh, an awards evening. So th those are the kind of things I'm looking at and then also I'm looking at expanding into um, about having my wife uh, do something with females because I get a lot mm -hmm. of um, a lot of requests from females um, and so at the moment I can't accommodate them. Uh, my wife helps out in my business and I'm hoping that she'll start her own. She's also a trainer as well, uh, but she's not big into social media. She doesn't like it much. She's one of those. She's on social media and she just likes to observe. And so, um, but I'm trying to encourage her to to be more involved and, and perhaps launch her own thing. Um, she's a personal trainer. And she and she helps people, but like I said, she's not a massive fan of social media. So. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting how now like social media is, is so important to growing a business, right? It's so crucial as part of, of the process. And it's like you have no choice, even if you're someone who doesn't enjoy it. Personally, I don't enjoy it. Um, and people might find that surprising, you know, but I actually whatever I can, whatever I can do to um, not be on social media as much as I can uh, myself, then I would do right, which is thankfully now I'm able to do thanks to my team. So they take they take care of a lot of the a lot of the social media content. Um, but I still sometimes have to show up. I don't necessarily enjoy it. If I could choose to be like an anonymous, uh, you know, founder or CEO, I would love to do that. But I think right now, especially when you're starting from scratch on your own, it's so important for people to see who you are and who they're going to be working with. You know, what are your values? What kind of person are you? I think that matters to people when they want to choose who they want to work with. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I don't mind social media. I've always kind of enjoyed it anyway. So, so that's mm -hmm. not an obstacle for me. Uh, but it has got to a point, especially when you grow your business and become bigger, that you can't switch off. So one of the best decisions that I made uh, about six months ago was to get two uh, separate phones. So on my uh, on on my personal phone, there's zero social media, nothing at all. Um, so I can switch off a little bit. Um, but yeah, um, you, you know, you come to a certain point where it just it just takes over your life. Um, but without Facebook, 
I would not have a business. Exactly. I would not have a business without Facebook. Oh, at 99% of my clients come via Facebook. Mm -hmm. So it's non-negotiable, really. Yeah. And, and if you're an expert in marketing, you can use email and you can run ads and even ads, where are you going to run them? You can yeah. run them on Facebook, you can run them on Instagram, or you yeah. can run them on Google. Um, and Facebook is going to give you the, the highest ROI. Um, and then um, you know you can go to email, run email campaign, the rest of it. But that is very very costly, um, uh, especially when you're starting out. Definitely, no, I, I I completely agree with you, man. And um, I think as you mentioned, you know, it is a necessity and it is one that even if you're shy, you kind of kind of push yourself, but it's also such a blessing. And it's one thing that I also talk about with my students and that, you know, they ask, oh, do we need to do on, go on social media? And it's like, fortunately, yes, but it is a blessing because without it, you wouldn't be able, we wouldn't be able to have these online businesses that we're starting from scratch and sometimes at no cost, right? Because, you know, it doesn't cost money for you to create a social media profile to get on uh, social media and post content and start to put your business out there. Whereas, you know, if you think just 20, 30 years ago, there was no social media and you had to really, you know, pass out, pass around flyers or go to your local gym if you're a fitness trainer and try to get a job there as a personal trainer, or maybe open up your own gym. You know, the options were very limited, but now you, you have online training, you have online fitness coaching, you're able to, you know, create social media profiles and build a, a business and a brand online. Uh, and it's a great blessing, mashallah, because it, it provides that accessibility where more people have those opportunities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I was reading something a while back and it said that a few hundred years ago, uh, it, you know, business is created by networking and meeting people. Uh, a few hundred years ago, the average person only met 80 people in their entire life. So if they had a product or a service, mm -hmm. they would only be able to um, um, connect with people in their locality yeah. um, or within the 10 mile. 15 mile radius that they could travel. Uh, and most of those connections would be their own friends or family anyway. Yeah. Um, so right now, like we can just open a, a social media account, uh, YouTube, anything, and we can connect with millions and billions of people instantly. And that, and just that alone has opened up so many opportunities to be able to uh, exchange our, our goods and services. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a huge blessing. Yeah. Um, that's one of the things that I used to, when I was going through a dark period in my life in 2012, that's one of the things that I used to like, can remind myself in my gratitude journey. I used to write that, you know, like we have YouTube, we have this and we have that. And, uh, you know, when you write, what are, the, what are you grateful for? I used to actually write down YouTube. Mm -hmm. I used to write down Facebook as things that I was, I was grateful for because it gave me the opportunity to connect with people uh, and, and, and build networks. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you. There's always two sides of a coin, right? Two ways to see something. Uh, I completely agree with you, brother. So there's a question that I ask every single guest uh, that joins me on this podcast. Um, one of my favorites. I'd love to ask it for you as well. Uh, and the question is the following. If you could go back and, and say one thing to your 18-year-old self, right? Young Adam Khan, who's uh, you know about to, inshallah, grow up, be a fitness coach, be an entrepreneur, go on this journey. You could tell him one thing, one piece of advice that he could hold on to throughout his journey. What would that one thing be for you? What would you tell him if you could see him right now? I'll tell him, I'll tell him everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to work out. Um, and that one day you will, you know, you will have a business and, and be doing well uh, and everything will be okay. Sometimes we need to hear that. Why do you feel like, why would you tell him that? Is it because he needed to hear that at that moment? 
I did, yeah, because at, um, when I was 18, when I, when I was going through TB, um, I was on the verge of committing suicide. So I was going through TB and I said that and my health deteriorated to the point where I was bedbound and housebound. And, and often I used to think to myself that if I'm going to be like this, if I'm going to be spend the rest of my life lying in bed and be a cabbage, is it worth carrying on? Like I never thought I would ever recover mm. because this TB had been deteriorating for so long. Doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong. Um, and you can see a detailed post on this on my, on my website. Doctors couldn't figure out, you know, what was wrong with me. Um, and they kept, they, you know, they made all sorts of theories and I just kept deteriorating. So I went to see Iraqis, Islamic, um, you know, Iraqis and, and other um, spiritual leaders who gave me Taoises and, and various other things. And they said it was jinn, it's black magic, it's this, it's that. And I just thought like, so this is going to be my life then. I'm going to be in bed mm -hmm. for the rest of my life and I'm going to be looked after by somebody else and be a burden. And I thought, look, I don't know if I want to carry on like this. I, so I, I never thought I was going to recover. So I mean, the only thing that kept me alive, like I said, was it was faith. I, I had uh, quite a bit of grounding in Islamic um, uh, understanding of the Quran and stuff. And you know, uh, that Allah doesn't place on uh, your burden more than you can bear. And I knew that suicide is, is forbidden, and and our tests and understanding tests and, and, and that whole spiritual dimension uh, kept me alive. Um, but yeah, so I never thought I'd be in this position. Um, I, I knew, I never knew that the world is going to be like this. You know, we had mobile phones that were bricks. Uh, who knew there's going to be Facebook? There's going to be all of this stuff. And we'd be communicating like this, that, that life is, is going to be so different in 20 years, in 15 years. SubhanAllah. Well, I'm really glad to hear that you uh, you made it through that challenging period, brother, and that you you are here with us today and that you are able to impact so many lives because think about it, if you weren't, then all of these people wouldn't have had those transformations. They wouldn't have had their lives changed in the way that you helped them change, mashallah. So, you know, when you look at that, you sometimes whoever, if you're listening to this and you feel like you're in a rut and you feel like, you know, what you're working on or you're in a position where you're, you're not feeling well and, and you feel like you're not really uh, in a good place, just mentally or spiritually or financially or personally. I want you to listen to this and, and uh, listen to Brother Adam's words and really, you know, recognize and realize that wherever you are, it is not permanent. It is temporary. It is a current situation. And as you mentioned so beautifully, that Allah subhanahu wa does not test those uh, with the burden that they cannot bear. So whatever it is you're going through, uh, keep your faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and know that it is temporary. And that whatever it is you're going through, you do not know what is in store for you in the future. I mean, do, would have you ex expected to be here? Uh, um, I'm absolutely not. Like, <laughs> I, there is light at the end. So I mean, but that's just yeah. like one aspect of my of the dark um, um, periods of my life. I mean, I had others, and one one of them led me to the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial journey. I struggle struggle with that word. I mean, I always had that streak in me. Since I was 18, 19, I always had that streak in me. And I was a, I was a lot of, I was a, a consumer of a lot of direct marketing material. Um, um, but I never really managed to get it going. I think the opportunity was a lot tougher back then. Um, mm. But then, um, uh, you never asked me this question, but I'm answering a question you never asked. Please, go for it. I started on my entrepreneur's journey. Yeah. So I always had this streak in me. I always tried various things flopped up loads. Um, 
mainly because I never had the guidance. And then um, around 2012, I was involved in the charity sector. Mm -hmm. um, when I was 22 as well, I was involved in doing events for the masjid, and we'd find that um, um, we'd speak about people who sold alcohol. I mean, in my community, Bengali, in the Bengali community, a lot of people owned uh, restaurants where they sell alcohol, and a lot of Pakistanis owned shops where they sell alcohol. And on, on, off the member in the masjid, the imams would always speak out against this. But then when we needed donations for the mosque or for mosque events, they were the first people we'd go to. Um, and I hated this, it really bugged me. But then all the Muslims, all the main guys who were involved in the Dawah work and who were involved in uh, the masjid events, they were, most of them were poor. They were really poor, but then we were kept in this vicious circle because the, the, the Imam who was also poor would glorify poverty. Mm -hmm. he, he glorified poverty, so he had this sense of um, uh, feeling good about being poor. But then when we needed money for Masjid extension or for a mosque event or something, we never had the money to go to the people selling alcohol. I hated that. So many years later, in 2012, 2013, uh, I got divorced. In 2012, I got divorced. Uh, I took custody of my kids, who, my, my son, who is now 13. So at the time, my son was four and my daughter was seven. And I took custody of them. At that time, a really bad period of my, of my life. My, I got divorced, my house, which was uninsured, um, got burnt down, so I was living at my mum's, um, and my house got burnt down, I never had the money to repair it, it wasn't insured, um, and there's a picture you can see, of the first time I got my kids, so when I got my kids, my mum said there's no room, where they live, there's no room, so I had to bring my kids into this house that was burnt down, uninhabitable, no running water, um, so we, uh, I, I got my friend who's a builder to Put carpet down in one room we've got some mattresses and stuff um that my mum was going to throw away and we all slept on this one mattress this is in 2012 and some pictures of this as well on my blog so um i was in my job and i couldn't take my kids into work so i did i took them in the first day i took my kids into work but i was told like, you can't bring the kids into work like that's not how it works so i had to leave my job so thankfully in the uk we do have a good welfare system you know, we have a really good welfare system where you can survive. If you don't have a job, you can get by. Like you not have it, obviously, but you can just about, just about pay your bills and just about get by if you live really, really, uh, budget really hard. So um, I, I, I got into benefits and I managed to like just scrape by. Um, but I knew I needed to do something. Most jobs I looked for, you couldn't drop kids off at 9 a.m. in the morning, go to work and be home for three to pick them up from school. Yeah. Um, so, again, I started thinking about how I can be into entrepreneurship, how I can start my own business or do something and earn an income uh, around my circumstances. So, at the same time, I got involved in, uh, I was involved in doing uh, some charity work because it's really popular amongst the Muslim community. Charity work became really popular, and it's still popular now. Um, it became a big thing around that time. So I got involved in charity work, and I was volunteering. But then I thought to myself, one day it dawned on me that I was asking money from all these people who had money to give. But I couldn't give anything myself, or I could give very little. And I felt like a glorified beggar. I thought, look, I don't want to be the hand that takes. I want to be able to be the hand that gives. So I want to be in a position where I can give generously and comfortably. Um, 
and not feel it like uh, 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 not feel it as much as I did. I, I, I did. So um, plus at the same time, um, like I said, the um, um, you know I I've, I I started coming out of that mindset. I used to have a very poor relationship with money or finances. I used to think it's bad, it's evil, and I used to self sabotage. And that's when I recognized that up until then, whenever I focused on career or business, I would self-sabotage. I would deliberately self-sabotage. And this became apparent. I wasn't aware of it, but then at this time, around this time, I started to become aware that I was self-sabotage. And I completely transformed my, my mindset around money and it being evil and the root of all evil and uh, money equals greed equals because it doesn't have to be like we're talking about Facebook money is not evil it's just an amplifier of what's in your heart if you're an evil person money is going to give you the means to be even more evil if you if your heart is good and you know it's you have that um, uh, connection with with God uh, and, and you know with, with, with your spiritual spirituality then money is just going to amplify amplify what's in your heart so it took me a good few years to really, really overcome and rewire that thinking around money. So I started coming out of that and I thought, okay, what can I do? What can I do? What are my strengths? And you'll still find that I made a course on learning Quranic Arabic. So it's called, uh, uh, it's called Quran in 40 days. Understand Quran in 40 days. So I've still got this course that I built. It took two years to build it. And I didn't promote it at all after I built it. Um, so I did the course and there's a sister, um, um, who uh, saw me doing all this and she helped me out and she spoke to me one day and she said to me um, uh, she said to me um, look what, what is it that you're trying to do and she knew my situation with my kids and she said what is it that you're trying to do I said well I built this course and then, uh, she goes look there's lots of people already doing that and there's scholars that are doing that you know, it's a saturated market and there's people doing it really really uh, low priced and you won't be able to compete with them. And secondly, saturate the market. That's not your strength. Focus on your strengths. What else are you interested in? What else do you enjoy? I said, well, I enjoy health and fitness. Um, and I've been doing that for, for years. And I think I'm onto something because I've lost weight in 2012 and I haven't gained it. So she said, yeah, go for that. And then I was listening to Russell Brunson or I was um, reading one of his books. And he said something about... Um, what is that one thing that keeps your ideal time up at night? Or what's mm -hmm. that one thing that really, that, that's a pain point that people are willing to pay to solve? And I thought so, so, you know, not understanding the Quran is not a big enough pain point for most people. Mm -hmm. Yes, they want to, they do want, every now and again, they get this spiritually, they'll be feeling spiritually high, and they want to understand the Quran, but they'll wake up, they'll go to work, and they'll forget about it. And they'll go on that forever. Whereas the guy who knows his health is in a mess and he wants to fix it, he looks at gets up in the morning. Because I was that guy and I could relate to that guy perfectly. You know, I'd look in the mirror, I'd see my love handles, and it bugged me. And so then I'd go to put my trousers and the belt's tight and I have to buy a new pair of trousers. Then I sit in my car to go to work and I have to unbutton the top button because it's digging into my, you know, my no <laughs> yeah. and then all day at work sat behind the desk my top button is open and i've just kept my belt and my trousers together with the belt um so it bugged me or it dig into me all day and it bugged me all day 
then I'd be thinking about it at night as well. You know, if I'm having my ice cream at night, I'm thinking like, oh my God, Mexico. So I thought, okay, this is something that needs solving. But more importantly, I was noticing more and more younger people, 32, 33, being diagnosed with diabetes. In our community, people having heart disease, um, heart attacks, people even dying in our community. And I thought, okay, this is something that needs to be solved. Like, this is serious. It's not even about aesthetics, but this is ravaging our community. And then, uh, as I mentioned previously, I did lots of courses and programs and things like that. And I looked at certain, uh, what's on offer, and I noticed one, about 70-80% of what's on offer is just gimmicks and fads. They don't really give you a complete solution at all. Insanity and diets and all this, that is not the solution. But then there are, like, about 20% of the stuff out there is a good solution, is a proper solution, and there, there are other coaches like me. But I noticed that none of them catered for our demographic. Mm. A few coaches that I worked with, they didn't really understand our challenges. Um, uh, they didn't understand our challenges, they didn't understand our aspirations, our goals, they didn't understand our community at all. And even the, the coaches that I worked with, I noticed a few, initially I thought, okay, most things are not willing to pay for a solution. To that you know or a premium solution but when i was working with this coach i noticed that slowly he started getting a few muslim clients but the solution that was provided to them didn't cater for their needs not completely anyway um and some of them were bitterly disappointed um and uh, there's a few other things that incidents that happen uh, and there's one particular one that broke the uh, was the straw that broke the camel back is when a muslim sister who signed up and she paid a lot of money because his was more, way more expensive than what my programs are. Um, and she was given a Ramadan plan where four meals a day, four meals during the day in Ramadan, and one of them had bacon medallions. Mm. And so, so I had the initial welcome call with the sister, and I told her I'm Muslim. And when I told her I was Muslim, she's like, Subhanallah, oh, mashallah, mashallah, subhanallah, you must have been She goes, oh, brother, I can talk to you then. In, 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 um, uh, I can talk to you um, uh, personally. So, and I was like, no, sister, the call is recorded. Like, <laughs> don't, don't do anything down because the call is recorded. Uh, but she was telling me, she goes, look, what on earth is this? I told him that I need a program that's, uh, it's a, we're going to Ramadan, I need a program that's suitable for Ramadan and there's pork in this like mm -hmm. what on earth is this brother can you solve this for me she was absolutely fuming, she was if my husband finds out he's going to have a heart attack. I've just paid this ridiculous amount of money for something and then I'm giving this so I tried fixing it for her, I spoke to her, the, the nutritionist who makes the meal plans and said like okay sort this out for her and I sorted it for her but I thought wow like but there are people willing to pay people are in pain Mm -hmm. pain. They are looking for a solution, and if they think that somebody or someone, uh, so someone or something or some program can help them, they're willing to pay to have that problem problem solved. So, mm -hmm. so that was a bit of an eye opener for me. And then I experienced a few more uh, things like that, and that's when I thought, you know what? There's a market out there, and I need to go all in on that market. Prior to that, I was doing something, but it was a, a lower price offer. Um, with a lower price offer, you're just making 
you're chasing your own tail, really. You can't deliver the service to the quality that needs delivering. You can't give that personalized quality service. Um, otherwise, uh, if you try and do that at that at a low price point, you're just going to go out of business. You're going to go bust. So mm -hmm. I, I did try that in, at the start, and I found, found in the end everyone's a loser. I was losing, the client was losing, and it was a very unsustainable business model. Um, so then I left that. Alhamdulillah, since then, I've um, I am where I am now. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Well, it's a, it's a beautiful journey, mashallah. And it's a really interesting story about, you know, all the ups, ups and downs that you had to go through to end up here. And, you know, when I reflect upon my life as well and, um, you know, where what I had to go through to be here, I always I always tell people, you know, I could have never planned out my journey to end up here. Allah subhanahu wa put me in through all these different situations in a way where he planned it perfectly where I would end up here. But I could have never planned this myself. Right.